Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book, and like I always say, can you believe another week gone? I am here this morning. Well, I'm here, and my guest is in Cape Town. Welcome to the show, Jackie Burnett. Janice, thanks for having me here this morning. I look forward to our conversation. I'm looking forward to chatting to you. And Jackie is the author of a book by the name of Life's Not Yoga, or is it? Finding Love in the Chaos of Life. And just to give you a bit of a background on who Jackie is, Jackie has a BCom degree from UNISA in Industrial Psychology and Economics, an MBA from WITS, which included a semester abroad at Rotterdam School of Management Erasmus. And she's also a certified, a certified integral coach through New Ventures West. And she also trained as, unsurprisingly, a yoga teacher with Yoga Tree, and she got both of those certifications in San Francisco, California. And um, this memoir, Life's Not Yoga, is her first published book, and I'm quite happy to hear it's her first because that means that there will be more. Am I right, Jackie? You are intending to write more. I am intending to write more. Um, I've got the layout for my next book, but I plan to get to my desk and start writing again on the 1st of July because I'm very busy at the moment with all the marketing of this book. So, yes, it's and a lot of people are asking me that question, so I'm excited about that. Very okay, grateful. So, so we have we have lots to look forward to. But on to, to this book <laughs> specifically. Um, so <laughs> this book came about um, because, I mean, you, you have had – quite a lot of trauma that that you you've unfortunately had to get through but you got through it that's that's a good thing and tell me nine near-death experiences Jackie that's that's more than than the average person should have to deal with in a lifetime nine um uh, yeah, I guess it is um, abnormal, but I think we're all doing, dealing with trauma on some other level that we're either aware of or we're not aware of that we suppress. And for whatever reason, I believe my very first near-death experience at the age of two was gifted to me to be able to go through the others because it was one, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a memory, a very clear memory I have of going to the other side and where there was this moment of walking into the light with the light, as I'll refer to it, um, and there was a moment where I, I was made very aware that I had a choice to go back or not. And it sat with me my whole life. And then as you, as you read in the book, I have all of these other near death experiences. As much as you say it's unfortunate that I've gone through these traumas, the, the, the work really for me is about realizing that all trauma, all challenge that we have in life is the gift. And whether we go back to, and one of my, you know, probably the, the person and whose work and reading influenced the most to actually go ahead with writing this book is Viktor Frankl and going to, you know, his book's Man's Search for Meaning, who I've gifted a hundred copies because it affected me so deeply. But it was always scraping back into what, you know, what is meaning in life? What is the real purpose? Um, and so I'm grateful I had those experiences. I think some people maybe have a, an existential or an awakening after one. I clearly needed nine to get my wake up. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but that's an amazing attitude to have to to say that you were gifted with with that that near death experience when you were at the very tender age of two um to enable you to get through what was to come and um you you had a a rather traumatic childhood you you lived with i mean and and I'm, I am going to speak about your father. And as I said, I, I, I did a Facebook post about this just to publicize that I was going to be speaking about you mm-hmm. and or speaking to you. And and what I said was, which, which I found amazing, is a lot of people write memoir and they write um, biography, autobiography, and they tend to sugarcoat themselves. Mm. They, they paint p- pretty pictures of themselves. They they like to, to paint other people with a bit of a tar brush mm-hmm. and – and they sugarcoat the way they look. You do not do that. You, there's a lot of, of areas of the book where you don't come across looking all rosy and pretty, and and you, you didn't do that. You you were quite open and honest about the areas of your life where you didn't come out looking looking too great. And and I'm not, I'm not going to blame. You know, we play the blame game and. We blame others for our trauma. We blame others for the experiences that we we we, we go through. And you did have a traumatic um, childhood. You did have, you know, you grew up with with a father who was um, quite difficult. Difficult. I'm being I'm being very um, kind. Um, he was he was um, quite narcissistic. And but you you thank him in your acknowledgments in the book, and you tell him how much you love him. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a bit about about that. I think uh, the first thing, Janice, because there are, there are a couple of layers to your question, if I can just take them one at a time. I, like any memoirist, um, am going to admit to you, my first draft of my manuscript was all about the blame and, and not dealing and dealing with the shame, but not dealing with my own guilt narrative. And I think it's very easy to write that book. And I finished that in 2012, as I, I talk about in the book, and then eventually trashed it away in Santa Fe. Yes. And part of that was, was realizing that it didn't make sense, but it was a very cathartic experience for me to just vent my anger, get my anger out. And we all tend to, you know, we go back to Frankel that the only thing we have is, you know, the choice of our response to anything. And when I had the courage to look at that manuscript and see that it was coming from the victim's voice, I realized that it was, as I say in the book, a book of revenge. I wanted to get even with what Deloitte had done, and I wanted to get even um, with my father on some level. But I started, the more and more that I went within and, and got closer and closer, as I refer to it as love or God, was realizing that why did these things happen to me? And when you look at people that have gone through, for example, like Viktor Frankl, what he had to go through by going to a concentration camp, and you start looking and saying, well, why am I unhappy when other people could thrive and take their experience and bring it as a teaching to the world? So that was very important for me, and I kept going back to that and going back to that, and it's what sort of brought me then to going and studying in San Francisco because I wanted to understand the existential question at a deeper level. Why are we here as human beings? Because we are more than just this pain that we are capable of carrying. So, yes, in my book, you, you, there's a lot of focus because otherwise I think it would have been a 4,000-page book if I had to tell you all the wonderful things about my father. And it's only 352. But if... Body. Sorry. It, that's fine. Everybody has something beautiful and magical in them. And but my father and I only reflected our dark onto each other. So the more we reflect our dark onto somebody, 
or blame them or dislike them, the more we will get that back. And that's what my father and I did. And it speaks to that first poem where I talk about, um, you know, my imperfections are my beauty spots along life's mirrored wall. He was my mirror. So when I could actually see everything um, about my father, everything evil about any other human being, be it the murder or whatever, in terms of that rage can drive us to the point where we behave in a way that is not appropriate. I was seeing how I was doing it, and I didn't want to spiral down that road of where I would eventually become like him, angry, depressed. Um, you know, I was originally anyway struggling with depression because one of the things is the very person I loved the most, my husband, was the person that I was now shouting at. The very person I loved the most was the person I was pushing away. And for me to heal, sadly, I didn't have the ability to hold my guilt and my shame in front of my husband and heal with him, something that, you know, even post our divorce, we've managed to get to a space where we can, where we can, you know, be more frank in terms of what it meant for us and, and, and fully heal. So I, sadly, I never got the opportunity to do that with my father because he wasn't available to make himself available for that healing. Whereas my mother and I, um, in, from 2015, because the family at one stage wanted to shut the book down and my mother saw the opening and, you know, a woman with a very deep faith. And that broke us open to be able to have our conversations around a shared experience and how we experienced it differently and why she felt bad that she in some ways didn't protect me. But she didn't know any better. So I realized then when I got to doing, because this is my fifth manuscript, but when I got to rewriting into the third and fourth, so going from, as you say, some memoirists don't share, we've all got ugly to us. And I thought if we want to make peace in the world, we need to be able to show all of ourselves and let people love all of us and accept all of us. Because from that point of growth, because it's through the pain where we grow, uh, once again, going to any good psychology or any good philosophy, but through sharing the uglier side of me, you actually, that was the only way I was going to be able to open you possibly or the reader to the fact of having compassion either for my father, but for themselves. And what's happening is, and just this morning I was chatting to a woman who defi has defined herself up until today as a cancer survivor. She works with a friend of mine. She watched an interview. She desperately wanted my book. And I look at how this woman has changed her narrative completely in terms of her cancer was a gift. Right. Her cancer was a gift to teach her something because she's healed. And how, you know, she said, I kept seeing myself in the book. And that's what is exciting yeah. me is that even though it's my story and even though you get to meet the ugly me and the ugly of my dad, um, there's a lot of beauty to me and there's a lot of beauty to my dad. And when I work through that lens, I find the angel in everybody. I find the beauty in everyone. Amazing. So, yes, you had, to, you had to meet ugly me before you could get to meet the rest of me. <laughs> We're going to take a break and we are going to definitely chat more about this after the break. I love it when you this is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back and I'm chatting to my guest, Jackie Burnett, who is down in Cape Town. And we are talking about her book, Life's Not Yoga, or is it Finding Love in the Chaos of Life? And before the break, Jackie, we were talking about trauma, overcoming trauma, letting it define you or not define you and seeing how you define yourself. And... I know that many people look at others who write books like, like this and they, they kind of tend to think to themselves, how are people like this so positive and how are they always about the light and I am the light, I see the light, I am the love and all of that. But I don't think that um, 
people who are thinking that sad realize that books like this and lives like this are born out of a lot of frustration and anger that you've had to get through to become what you are today. So, so talk, talk me through that. The way, the way that I see it is that at times I had this connection. As I said to you, um, from the age of two when I went under the, uh, over to the other side for the first time, when I had, um, when I was faith healed as a 16 year old from a back disease that was supposed to sort of go forth with me for the rest of my life and, and getting that out of the body. So, I think in some ways I'm fortunate because I've had touch points with the light or with God in terms of understanding that this life is um, a placeholding for spirit. And therefore, what we do with ourselves energetically and how we bring that into the world is the most important thing. And there were so many times, and I still do it every day, where I, you know, I will carry an ego narrative where I'm right about something, where I believe I'm right about something, and then realize that it's not really about right or wrong. It's just about holding a space of love between myself, my belief system, and someone else's belief system. So in terms of being positive, I was always, I would have defined myself as a survivor. I don't anymore. I define myself as a thriver. You say, does this define us? Our trauma define us? Every experience that we have in our life, I believe, defines us. It's what we do with that definition. Do we sit and go, I can't believe this has happened to me. So even we're looking at COVID and we see businesses falling over. We see people really struggling. We see people in fear. We see people losing their families. And we can either go forth with the victim's voice and say, oh, you know, it's terrible that I went through this. We're all going through trauma. We're all going through stuff. At moments in time, we all lose a family member. And it's to see what has that brought to us in terms of an opportunity and an opening. So with every change, there's something there. And certainly for me, it's a practice that I that I work with every day. And I notice when I'm triggered or when I might want to go back to that old Jackie that would lose her temper and then just sit with something. Or even when someone's attacking you is to be able to look at it and say that they, they're just acting from their pain story. You don't want to be better than or judgmental or say, but I'm glad that I don't necessarily fight back. I can now look at it and just hold a space and be okay with who I am. And it's not about me being perfect it's about holding that that space of energy and then just let them be their messy selves and love them anyway i think that takes a lot of practice (laughs) a lot of patience (laughs) a lot of strength (laughs) um and and i'm not sure and i'm speaking for myself now and i'm not sure I would be able to do that every time. Um, no. Are you able to do that every time? <laughs> no, I'm human. Um, I'm certainly better at it. And, <laughs> and I think, and this is for me a very interesting thing, is I talk about being a revolutionary and not a warrior. And I talk about courage in my writing and not bravery. So when we were the warrior, we following someone else's story. When we were the, we the revolutionary, we are... We've got a capacity for change. We've got a willing for change. We're not following somebody else's story. We're living fully into our story, but we want to change our own story. So when I talk about bravery and courage, a warrior needs to be brave. So your general will send you into the army. You need to put your emotions aside and the emotions of the other, that you're going to war with aside and you go to battle with your body. Well, when you live with courage, you have to have compassion, which means you've got to bring all of your emotions to the table. And then you can be angry and frustrated, but it's what do you do with that? How do you respond with that? But in courage, so if somebody's attacking you, in courage is how do you have compassion for them? 
And I think Gandhi and Jesus and a lot of those people, when they were being persecuted, they were great teachers in terms of what that meant, in terms of just loving the other despite. Um, and so when someone's in a deeply triggered moment and maybe coming at you is they are not loving you because they are so attached to their story. So there's an attack that comes. But what if you just hold the space of love and acceptance for what they need to do in terms of their persecution? So oh, I get it wrong a hundred times a day, even if it's just times <laughs> in my head. And I think, oh, I really want to shout back at that person. But it's not going to get me anywhere. It's not that I want to be... Um, Better than, I'm just at peace. That's the beauty of it is I found peace here by not having to defend my position or um, fight back. I remember a few years ago, I was in Florida on a workshop, and the trainer, his style is one of breaking people down. And I innocently said something that clearly triggered this man, and he started shouting at me. And I'd had a beautiful meditation that morning, and I felt so at peace with my choices for being there. And as he started shouting me, I watched the words come, and they were like floating and hitting my aura and going right over me. And I was going, wow, he can't hurt me. These are just words. Not that words can't hurt us. You saw how it, how, how hard it is. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to go down the road now and, and, and get to the supermarket and a cashier is impolite me and want to say something. And I might well say something. But most of the time I go back to breath. And breath for me is prayer. And in that moment and say, what if this person had a bad day? What if... Her mother died of COVID this morning and she still had to come to work for the money. And I breathe and you soften into it and very quickly they soften and you get phenomenal service again. So when you bring love forth, you get love back. Um, and it's a practice. I practice it every day, but I, I get it wrong, as I say, 50, 100 times a day. Because we have so many moments in life to practice that. That's the amazing thing is how many times in life. So the more you can get into present moment living in the now, the more you can be at one with breath, love God the easier it is to replicate that reality and bring beauty forth so that you experience love back. I love that. That's amazing. Thank it's, you. It, but it is, it's all, it is all about practice and it's just, and it's remembering to practice it. Yes. It's first remembering to remembering that that's what you need to do and then doing it and, well, and just to you know, keep, keep doing it. Consciousness or enlightenment is not something we get to. It's moment by moment. And so what I tend to do um, is after my meditation in the morning, I have a prayer where I ask for the wisdom, grace, and courage for my mind to be filled with kind thoughts. And then I ask for the wisdom, grace, and courage for my soul to speak kind, loving words. And I ask for the wisdom, I touch my heart, and I ask for the wisdom, grace, and courage to bring forth kind and loving behavior in the world. And then I ask for the wisdom, grace, and courage for the spirit of my being, my connection with God, the spirit of my being to bring forth kind and loving thoughts, words, and deeds in all that I am. And then I give thanks to every human being that I will touch that day is a student, to, is a teacher to me as a student. So that's how I remember the practice is I go in with a conscious intention every day. And I still get it wrong. But I, through the conscious intention is why I sometimes get it right. <laughs> it's amazing. And it always reminds me of that, that little meme of, of someone sitting in a yoga pose saying, I ask for conscious enlightenment um, and, and I want to be consciously enlightened. And if I'm not consciously enlightened, I'll go eat a cookie or something. <laughs> so it's a very cute little meme, you know, that it's just going to come to me. And if it doesn't come to me, oh, well, I'll just go and eat cake or eat a cookie or eat something, you know. But it's not something that just comes to you, comes to you, like you've just said. It's something. And, and I know that I have spoken on the show before about conscious manifestation. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed someone who wrote an incredible book 
um, about conscious manifestation and it's, it's something that needs to be practiced and learned and it's, it's something that it's life changing mm-hmm. if you, you learn the tools and practice the tools and it's, mm-hmm. it's something that you, you definitely, um, I think it's, it's, it's definitely something that, that changes lives and it can change our lives for the good and it changes the lives of those around us and those that we interact with and engage with on a daily basis and those that mm-hmm. we come into contact with just briefly, we can change lives. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's that paying it forward as well. If, like you say, you may meet the cashier who starts off with very harsh words, but you don't know what she's experiencing in her life. And if you, you treat her gently, then she will become gentle and she'll change her words into softer words and she'll then pay it forward to the next customer. Who, who will then pay for it? It all gets paid forward. It's all we're all links in a chain. We've we've grown up in a time in the world where the ego narrative is so high towards our educational um, formats, which are educate the mind. You know, be be good academically, be good on the sports field, education to the body. We're doing so little work in terms of educating our souls and educating our spirits. So it's, once again, it goes to not wanting to necessarily control the narrative of another, but if you if you bring intellect forward, you know, academically, you can engage in a certain kind of conversation. If you bring a sport forward, you can play a sport at a certain kind of level. But if we bring soul and spirit level energy into the world in a kind and loving way, and we just place it in front of the person, you're not forcing it onto them. You just place it in front of the person. They will meet you halfway. And that's it's, what yeah, I love. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. They're changing themselves. We're not changing them. It's us being the change, being the change, being at one with love, being at one with God. So in being the change, you give people space to be the change too. Uh, we're having such a positive conversation and I almost feel bad, you know, introducing the fact that, that in order to become like this, once again, you need to go through the trauma and work through the trauma and the negative experiences to get to the stage of learning and, and creating and creating the positive. And I think this is what people forget. They, they kind of think, Oh, want to be positive. Oh, want to be positively enlightened. Want to engage positively. Want that conscious enlightenment. Want, oh, but they, and they think that people are just like that. And they forget that so often it's unfortunately triggered by the negative experiences. And, you know, this is why I'm, I really do encourage people to, to go and, and buy this book, read this book and read what Jackie has gone through. And I'm going to just slip in here that this book is available um, there, there's really no excuse not to go and buy this book. It's available <laughs> at exclusive book at exclusive books at Wordsworth at Bargain Books, Amazon, Take a Lot, Lot, Loot, all the international um, ebook platforms. And then also from the middle of May, from the 12th to the 14th of May, it will be on special on Kindle special on Amazon for just um, two dollars and ninety nine cents. So really on basically every platform available and real books, you know, a real, a real actual book with paper and pages, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have, you know, switched over to Kindle and have forgotten what that's all about. Mm. Um, but there's still nothing like a real book. But um, if you read what Jackie has gone through and, and the, what the, the learning process that she's had to, and, and, it wasn't just, 
oh, I went through trauma and now I'm a positive person. It was trauma again and again and again and learning and loss and more loss and more mistakes and some more mistakes. <laughs> and sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm really, it makes, it makes it sound like, like you just messed up again and again and again. But, but. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> we all do. That's life. And, um, if you read Jackie's book, there are beautiful moments in the book as well. Mm. And there are, there's more beauty in the book and the book, and it's hopeful, it's inspiring. And that's how you become a positive person. That's how you, you start on the enlightenment journey. And that's why I think it's so important that books like this are written. And that's why people like Jackie are actual gifts to those of us who read and those of us who want to learn because without people like Jackie who share their stories and who are willing to share their mistakes and share the stories of their mistakes, then the rest of us don't learn. So I'm going to thank you, Jackie, for sharing your story. Um, we're not ending here just in case you think it sounds like we're ending. <laughs> um, so, you know, imagine if we, we didn't hear other people's stories. Storytelling is vital to the way we we learn it's vital to how we share it's vital to how we get to know each other to how we get to know each other's stories how we get to know each other's lives mm -hmm. and after the break we're going to obviously chat more about life's not yoga but we're going to take a quick break now I love it. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back chatting to my guest, Jackie Burnett, about her book, Life's Not Yoga. And before the break, I was talking about how important it is that people like Jackie share their stories because through storytelling and through sharing, um, the rest of us learn and we learn how to become more enlightened. We learn from others' mistakes and we hear from their shared stories. And Jackie, you wanted to respond to that. Yes, and I'd like to. And, and before the break, there were um, four things that sort of came out. Is um, You said that some people will look and say people are just like that. Well, the, the beautiful thing is we were all born fully enlightened and just like that. So um, if you think if you've had a baby or if your friend's taken a friend's baby in your hands and you look at that thing, there's nothing other than that baby responds to love. And it needs body nurturing, but it understands spiritual connection and, and, and that beauty. We go through life and we take on societal and parental narratives and we start locking down with fear of, and, and we then exclude people based on religion, color, sex, education. It doesn't matter what it is. Whereas when we were a baby, we were all just like that. And at the age of two, if you'd thrown us all into a room, we would have played and had fun and, you know, we could sure. have had a hundred babies from a hundred different nations, different nationalities, different color, different languages, whatever, they would have a ball. So you put, true. Their, you, so put their, true. you put their parents in a room and their parents have lost the just like this factor. So we all have it in us. So it's about going back, going back to the purity of what we were born to as a loving spiritual being of God. And in, in, in telling our stories, I think what I had to do is I had to get past my story to share my story, yes, but to get past my story in terms of my ego attachment to the story defining me in the mentality of victim. 
and face up to my guilt, shame, and blame and put them aside so that I could love everyone who affected me in my life as much as I needed to learn to love myself and be at one with them. Because they're just reacting from their pain stories. I don't know. Even though I was married to this amazing man for close to 20 years, I don't really know his story. And we bounced up against each other. So what I have absolutely taken out of this book, and it was why it took me nine years to finish it, because it was very important to me that the book didn't just become about my story. It became about the courage to share my story as openly and as messy as I did. Because the people that are enjoying my book, and I've had one or two critics that, you know, couldn't stomach the book, and they just read it in terms of Jackie sharing her story. The people who are getting the book, the people that are understanding the book, the people that are getting pleasure out of the book, when they phone me or send me a message or people I know or don't know, or a friend of a friend, you know, sends somebody my number and they say to me, I saw myself in the book. You've given me the courage to look at myself. And before I know it, they tell me their story. They instantly, it's not that they're not interested in my story, but in the way I've told my story, it has inspired them to look at their own narrative, to look at their own triggers. And so even people, because some people are very triggered at parts in the book and, and they struggle to get past it. It's because it's pressing on something that they need to look at in themselves. And I didn't, you know, that's why I, I, I made sure that I, I, you know, my book was went through many beta readers and many professional writers. And you talk about, as you said, some, some memoirists who don't do that. It was important for me. And that's why I went and studied the great memoirs of the world over the last nine years, because that's what I wanted to gift the reader. And somebody the other day said they were going to nestle my book between Anne Frank's um, diary and, and, and um, a review and um, Man's Search for Meaning. And then I thought, ah, oh, that, that's what all I wanted was to gift the reader themselves. Right, right. So as much as it's a crunchy, and I did, I wrote it in a crunchy sort of eat, pray, tell, wild that I've been compared to, educated, those kind of top-selling memoirs. I did write it in that voice to make it easy reading. And book two is more of a the how-to Um but to get people, because in that, they could be emotionally evoked for themselves. And then their own story started coming out. And as I say, like this woman who I spoke to this morning, who is now a cancer thriver and not as a cancer survivor, she defines herself after reading the book a few weeks ago. She said it shifted her narrative. And it's not about me anymore. It's about her. And that's what's so exciting, because she's wanting to make changes in the world. And that, to me, that's like the coolest thing out. <laughs> And that's what Frankel did for me when he shared his story and others that I've read. But, you know, one of those was in the shared story. So you thank me for sharing my story. I thank every person after they read my book because they can't wait to sit down and tell me their story. And from that, I learn. But you must hear so many stories like that, like the story of this cancer thriver, because you've set up a platform called Dare to Be Love. Mm-hmm. It's a self-development um, online platform, and you have over 40,000 followers. Yes. Now, that is nothing to sneeze at. Oh, we shouldn't use that um, terminology in COVID times. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, this is really, I mean, talk about a story um, story of adversity, just, you know, just walking through becoming um, really about wisdom and insight and everything. Over 40,000 followers, Jackie. This is, you know, you're inspiring thousands of people, literally. And tell me about the platform. I mean, tell me about how that came about. Tell me, tell me how, how it works, what you do. Talk to me. <laughs> so, the, the date, well, the Dare to Be Love platform was 
uh, came about, and I believe it also it's, it's something that's been gifted to me to share with the world, is to encourage people because kindness is, can often be a, an ego narrative because sometimes we, oh, look what we did, you know, charity or this or that, and, you know, we paid it for by the physical. But in the being of love is at the being at one with God and you're at one with somebody else in that moment. Um, is, is for me way more, is how I believe we can bring about peace and harmony in the world is when I'm just at one with who you are because I understand your story. And it makes me think of a lovely story if I can share. Um, a friend of mine uh, was somewhere, um, you know, he went to a, a Christian heritage site that had sort of been taken over by the Muslims and he decided to go and visit this, this, this site, which he believes according to his faith. And, uh, you know, I, I, I support all faith that is embedded in non-judgment and, and, and love. And, and I've known him since I was a child and he went there and he said he wanted to go look at the site because he wanted to understand why the Muslims had now taken ownership of the site. And he said to me at the end of it, you know, I was the only Christian and, and everyone else who was Muslim and we walked through this heritage site. And at the end of it, I, I think I brought love forth because I took the guy silently aside. I didn't embarrass him in front of everybody else. I took him aside silently. I said, no, you're wrong. This is actually a site, a Christian site. He said, how could I have done that differently? And, and that's when I trust this voice of love and I look within and I say, well, what's coming to me is, what if you'd said to him, thank you for sharing something that matters so deeply with you. Will you sit down and tell me your story as to how you came to believe this is a site that is connected to your faith, etc., etc." And I said, he probably would have told you a beautiful story about his spiritual teachers, his father, whoever in his community brought this knowledge to him and every day he comes to work and he celebrates how deeply this particular piece of land is for him. And you would have listened to him and you would have felt the people around him, his community, his family and everything. And I'm sure it would have been a loving conversation. And what if you said to him, thank you for sharing that with me. It's beautiful. I'm glad that you treasure this so deeply. Can I share with you why I treasure this so deeply? And you just tell him your story of how you came to understand the site. I remember my friend sat there and I said, well, there's God in between the two of you. You don't have to force your story onto each other. You don't have to create war. You don't have to tell him he's wrong. What if you both celebrated from a position of love? And so I guess that's for me the, the most exciting part is that each of us have the capacity to do that at any moment in time that something bothers us. So that's, that's yeah. just, that is beautiful. <laughs> I love that. That is just, that, that just, that sums up the platform in a, in a nutshell. That's amazing. Well, yeah, so that it's, is incredible. It's, it's in him finding the courage to be love for somebody else's story and not force his on. So the dare to be love is about why people are feeling inspired is because it's a tool for themselves. So I don't really like to use the word self-help platform because self-help is often caught up in the, the, the kind right. narrative. This is just going within your internal, looking at the things that frustrate you and accepting the human being in front of you just for who they are and loving them despite your story, despite your trigger, despite even a dislike you have for them. So kindness, to be kind, has an opposite, unkind. There's no opposite to love. So what if we are just to be loved, to be at one with God? always and we bring that forth into the world well i think any great spiritual teacher has been trying to tell us that from hundreds of years back thousands of years back true. as so being true. that connected and, and and why even someone like you is so passionate about this message is because you want to share it too absolutely i do i agree we're going to take one last break and then we'll be back to wrap up i love it when you read to me this is people of the book with janice Liebowitz. 
I am back with my guest, Jackie Burnett. We have been talking about her book, Life's Not Yoga. And what we've mainly been talking about is spreading a message of love. And I just love the way that um, Jackie has shared this message, how she has transformed her trauma, the trauma that she's been been through into love, basically. And her memoir, her book that she's written, is something that I would really highly recommend. And as I said earlier, I'm going to tell you again where you can get this book. And I'm actually I'm, I'm going to be putting it on, on my Facebook page, on the, the show's Facebook page as well. And it's available at Exclusive Books, Wordsworth, Bargain Books, Amazon, Take A Lot, and Loot, and all the international ebook platforms. And if you are willing to wait a little bit um, to get it on special between the 12th and 14th of May, you'll be able to get that on Kindle through Amazon for just $2.99 if you are willing to wait just a couple of weeks um, until the middle of May. And really, it's it's an amazing book. And as I said, what what I love about this book, what makes it extra special, is firstly the way it's written. It's engaging and it's it's easy to read. And as Jackie described, the way she's written it was um, kind of in the format. If you've read Educated by Tara Westover, which is one of my favorite books, I know it's highly controversial. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of written in the same um, easy flowing format and it's got those like oh, moments um that that you will you will kind of gasp at and um there are those those moments those moments of, of like shock shock and horror and yes jackie did experience those um as we said earlier in the show if you were listening um nine near-death experiences um and really this is a book that that it's it's really easy reading it's it's not Often not comfortable reading, but it's really a great book that I would highly recommend. And Jackie, I'm sure that that writing it, as you said, how, how many um, manuscripts? Five. Yeah, this is my, my fifth and final manuscript. Yeah, that, that had a hundred that had a hundred rewrites, I'm sure. But in terms of how it was put together, yes, the final manuscript was the fifth one. So if if those of you thought that writing a book was easy, um, as you can see, it's not. Uh, especially when you're writing about yourself and your life and um but but cathartic mm. very cathartic very, very cathartic <laughs> and the next book is in the works so we have something to look forward to mm. so so you haven't started that yet you, you it's in the process no, but um, the the, pla- the the outline is complete, um, and I've got a couple after that. I've got another four books, one which would be my poetry that I want to share. Um, I do share my online platform on my, my website, but there's three other books that I will be writing, and one of them is My Mother's Voice. I want to talk about the last three and a half weeks that I got to. I moved into the into the um, frail care center and slept in one of the ward beds and hung out with my mom for oh, the last wow. three and a half weeks until I held her till she passed. So sure. the honor of watching someone pass over um, yeah, that is, and, and leave. Mm. Yeah. So, and so, I, I so I'm, I'm hoping that the next book is not going to take quite as long as this book. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the next book is not going to take nine years to write. And not five years. But, but, but part of that is because of my pain process, I remember, and I talk very briefly about this nasty litigation that my ex-husband and I had with Deloitte's. And after the whole court case was settled, I sent their advocate, their lawyer, I sent everybody's man search for meaning. And I wrote their lawyer this long, very sort of, angry letter about how I was going to find purpose in my life, come what may, 
because at that stage they were quite worried I was going to write the book about the court case and expose what Deloitte had did, you know, and they were, they were a bit silly. They didn't get me to sign a non-disclosure, which is what I was going to do. But all of that, as traumatic as it was, and even though it, 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 it raised my pain so of right and wrong that my marriage imploded because I didn't like me, um, you know, that's, it, it, but it was through that inspiration of desperately looking because of for purpose and, and meaning in my life. Why did all of this happen to me? And, and I guess I needed a, a lot more years of processing to get to the understanding. I'm not as smart as Frankel or any of those people, so <laughs> I needed extra time. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jackie, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Um, it's been great chatting to you. Wonderful, and thank you for your time. It's an absolute pleasure. If you are listening, like I always tell you, look after yourself, look after each other, wear a mask, and read a book.